Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. So as part of our Up and Coming series, we had intended to talk to Isaac Freeland either before the start of this past season or sometime during this season because Isaac perfectly fit the profile. He is a very good skier, and he was definitely on his way up. But then Isaac kind of threw us a curveball by not only winning the Freeride World Tour Rookie of the Year award this past season, he went on and won the whole damn thing. And so suddenly, the newly crowned FWT winner was looking less like some young upstart and more like a world champion. But we still really wanted to talk to Isaac about his background, and we thought it would be cool to have him take us through his very first season on the Freeride World Tour. And so we have Isaac walk us through and break down each stop on this year's tour and share with us what his expectations were coming into the season, what it was like competing against some of the biggest names in skiing, how he approached each particular comp, and the rather surreal and abrupt end to this FWT season and more. And I've got one suggestion for you. As Isaac talks about each of the stops on the tour and how he approached each one, you can go to Isaac's Instagram page, it's at Isaac Freeski, and watch each of his comp lines as he discusses them. And you can also find a whole lot of other great clips of Isaac doing some pretty cool things on skis. And with that, let's get to my conversation with the FWT Rookie of the Year and World Champion, Isaac Freeland. Well, Isaac, it's really good to be talking with you today, even though it seems like the world actually might be ending. <laughs> um, you just informed me that earlier today, you just experienced like a, what, 5.7 level earthquake? Where are you? I'm in Salt Lake. Flew in two days ago and I've been self-quarantined for a little bit. So we're dealing, just to, just to kind of sum up with where we are, uh, you're currently self-quarantined. You experienced a 5.7 earthquake this morning. And then actually, just a second here before we started recording, you informed me that there was another earthquake before, like, while we were talking. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, you know, no big deal. Uh <laughs> Let's see. I think for most of us, we'd say that 2020 is off to a very surreal start. I guess we could say that th that would hold true for you as well, except you've also had some very cool things happen in 2020. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a wild ride. I will say internally, you know, here at Blister, we're a little upset with you because, you know, we have this like this series that we call Up and Coming where we, you know, just take a chance to talk to some people that are kind of up and coming. And our managing editor in particular, Luke Kappa, had mentioned your name prior to the start of this Freeride World Tour season. But then you kind of went and screwed everything up by not only winning Rookie of the Year, 
but then just winning the whole thing. So I'm not sure it really works to still call you an up and comer. <laughs> well, I'm honored to be mentioned at least. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so anyway, um, so let's talk a little bit about your background. Let's and just we'll start back with um, where did you grow up? Yeah. So I grew up in San Diego and ski raced for Snow Summit for a little bit. And then about halfway through high school, I moved up to Sugar Bowl Academy for racing, but kind of saw their free ride team and wanted to do that. So I switched over and I've been uh, free ride skiing since. Let's talk a little bit about the racing and stuff. I mean, did you, did you enjoy that? Were you pretty good at that? Or were you always kind of looking over at the free ride stuff happening off piste? I didn't really know freeride was a thing until I came up to Sugar Bowl. We just had park skiing and racing. And uh, I enjoyed slalom a lot. Slalom was my jam. Very bad at speed. <laughs> pretty bad at GS. But um, <laughs> I had fun whacking gates. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Yeah. And then what about park? Were you like, were you spending time banging gates and then also hitting rails? As we got a little older, it like the cool kids would uh, stop racing and start skiing park. So I bought my first pair of park skis kind of at the end of middle school, probably. And we would go hit the jumps. Right, so basically, are you calling yourself a cool kid? <laughs> well, the cool kids would go to Bear. We would stay at Snow Summit. Okay. Okay, <laughs> okay so you're saying that was around... Uh, end of middle school. So what year is that? Like 2009. So that was 2009. And how old are you today? I'm 24. 24. Got it. So 2009, you are kind of transitioning out a little bit from racing. You're starting to spend a bit of time in the park. And um, talk a bit about that transition then to, I guess, what we call for lack of a better term, free ride skiing or big mountain skiing? Until I came up to Tahoe, there wasn't really much of a, much of a transition. I was pretty bad at park skiing uh, relative to some of the other guys. And uh, I just like catching air. And um, when I came up to Tahoe is when I got on the Sugar Bowl free ride team and they kind of helped like guide my progression into the big mountain world. So walk us through a little bit then from that time with the team, they're helping you out to when you, well, got on the tour this year. So walk us through a little bit about that. What are some of the things we should know or what was interesting along the way? Um, well, I started competing in those last two years of high school and I did pretty well. There's myself and my friend Drew Hartley. And, uh, we would compete from the Sugar Bowl side and we'd do pretty well. And uh, I always like looked up to him because uh, he would always beat me. And uh, <laughs> after that, I wanted to keep doing the, the Big Mountain competing but uh, I had a pretty bad injury between high school and college. 
that put me out for a while. What happened? I blew my knee in Mount Hood. Got it. Slush skiing. Slush skiing. Not competing, just slush skiing? Just, I cased a jump. I cased the 70-footer and, yeah, landed all crooked. <laughs> Casing 70-footers, <laughs> turns out. <laughs> po- possible way to injure knees. Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was At first, I was just like, wow, were you just like, I was thinking, were you just, uh, you know, just a mellow, like, kind of hot lap in some slush groomers or something? Nope, case to 70-footer. <laughs> Fairly different. So. No, I have like a notoriously bad rap for getting injured in the spring, though. Huh. So it's, it's kind of something I'm aware of now. Just remember to take it pretty mellow. Huh. What has spring skiing got against you? I think it's just like speed issues <laughs> throughout the day. And like at the end of the season, you know, I'm feeling really confident on my skis and... Um, Maybe just a little too confident sometimes and don't take into account like speed changes in the snow and other factors. So you blow a knee. Tell me a bit more about the rehab process then. So rehab was an interesting one. I was doing well and then kind of got a little too antsy and jumped off a cliff before I was probably ready and collapsed my arch on my other leg, on my foot, and required surgery for that. And then my ECL didn't end up taking, so I had another three surgeries to clean it up, remove the old ACL, and then get the new one in. And then I had one more orthosurgery to take out the metal they put in my arch when that collapsed. And that was all when I was 18. This is all at 18? Yeah, I spent over six months on crutches when I was 18. Oh, man. So you're 18, you've got some aspirations, you know, for, you know, free ride comps and big mountain skiing. And are how nervous are you during this where you're like, am I done here? Or were you always like, yeah, this is another setback, but like, it's fine. I'm going to get through this. Um, there was a lot going on in that time. I definitely, uh, to be honest, had some panic attacks and some emotional rides. But uh, I always wanted like to be healthy coming after it. So I took PT really seriously. And even though it took a long time to come back, uh, stoked it did. So has the knee or the arch kind of been an ongoing issue since the surgeries or are you feeling like legit 100%? So the more time that goes by, the less I notice it for sure. I think so after I came back from those injuries, I competed for a season and ended up, uh, I like sprained my ankle before the last event and had to withdraw And after that, I was like, damn, you know, I need to just take some time and realize what my own skiing is like. So for the next season, I didn't compete and just skied with some friends, traveled around Canada and the States, and uh, really just tried to 
find my style of skiing and progress my skiing uh, before I came back to competing. That was one of the best seasons that I've had, to be honest, until now probably, but yeah. Yeah, this one's kind of hard. If you don't put this one first. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, until now, that was one of my best seasons for sure. I think I want to fast forward here to this past season because I'd love to just actually have you like take us through this season and kind of take us through each stop on the tour. So you find out last year that you're qualified. So you're like, here it is. You're, you're, you're going to be competing at the highest level. You feeling psyched about this? You feeling nervous about this? What was, you, what was the kind of primary headspace for you? I was feeling stoked. I was excited that there were a lot of my friends on the tour that were there and that had qualified with me. So I wasn't just going to be like the only American, which was kind of a thing a couple years back. And uh, so I knew that I had some friends that I could always rely on for help if I needed it for anything. And, uh, you know, just settling in to the whole tour and the new things that were coming. So let's talk about the first stop, which was in Hakuba, Japan. Yeah, so first stop, Hakuba, Japan, roll in and a little bit shell-shocked, just like walk in and like, Tanner Hall and Tim Dershey and Raina Barker and just so many big names that like you've heard and you just like see them and get to ski with them and um, yeah just crazy crazy feeling didn't think you know I would ever compete with any of these people had you crossed paths with some of those folks before or was this did you really like roll into Hakuba and you're like there's Tanner and there's Tim. I had met Tanner and Tim before, but not like hung out with them at all. And not competed against them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's that. Not that. Um, well, kind of walk me through that this comp. Um, again, either your headspace or some of the things that were kind of most notable in your mind, um, whether it had to do with inspections or whether you were like, confused about like what am I going to ski or whether your line kind of jumped out at you yeah well so I showed up and it's it's hard because you're standing next to all these people that like you know send so hard and do the most insane stuff and you're looking at your line and you're like damn like I need to do something crazy to like even keep up with these people (laughs) but surprisingly that's not necessarily the case because um, we're all kind of in the same boat of visual inspection, one run, one try. And uh, just to put a, like a line down with a fluid and with a lot of errors and tricks is uh, pretty hard to do with just one try. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a balance. Uh, Andrew, uh, Apol has been like, kind of like my uh, mini coach competing for a while. And uh, it's good to have someone like that just to like bounce ideas off of and to tell you that you don't need to go full send Um, because that definitely helps. So if you had to try to quantify this 
And again, just talking about the first stop in Hakuba, when you say you don't have to go full send, would you say that your line, you tried to ski at like, I don't know, 80%, 90%? How would you sum that up? Yeah, I mean, the goal is to ski a line at like 80%. And I ended up probably going like 95% on accident. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, 80% is like a pretty good, good number. Okay. Uh, it, describe the accident. How did you accidentally end up going 95? So visual inspecting, we were looking at this venue that during face check that they had chosen for us to ski and everything looked really big. And then we went and stood on top of it and realized that everything was super Small compared to what we thought it was and when I saw that I was like oh like this biggest rock in the center of the feature totally goes like it's not that big at all it's probably fine and then coming off it in my run I like almost fell skiing into it and then like launched off it and realized that was probably one of the bigger errors I've hit of the season <laughs> Luckily, like, stomped it and rode away, but was definitely surprised that uh, I had misjudged the scale the way I did. And so then, where did you end up in that first comp? Fifth. Took fifth. Feeling solid about that? A little disappointed? No, feeling so stoked about that. <laughs> yeah. First event on the tour, <laughs> like, top five is just, like, unbelievable. Yeah. I was so stoked. I was going to chastise you if you were like, yeah, I was super bummed. <laughs> yeah, so that's the right answer. So stop two, kicking horse, right, in kind of the first half of February. Talk to us about this comp. Kicking horse is a place that I've competed before. It's a venue we use for the FWQs. So I had been on the venue before, I'd skied before. I never really do well in kicking horse, which was kind of in the back of my mind. But I was a lot less... Uh, shell shock from Japan after, you know, getting fifth, feeling confident, and uh, just wanted to ski a smooth line all the way down since that venue wasn't my favorite, but. Not your favorite. So to sum up, you hate spring skiing and you hate kicking horse. <laughs> I like kicking horse. I'm just kidding. I'm just competing there. <laughs> is Kicking horse is such a fun place to ski. All those ribs that come off just provide you with like the most easy access most scary skiing you can find in a lot from like compared to a lot of places so you wanted to ski a smooth run um did you get what you wanted i did not get what i wanted i uh did a three halfway down my run and kind of landed in a bomb hole and like a little bit of an uphill landing and backslapped pretty hard but thankfully was able to pull it back together a little bit from my bottom air. And so where did you, what place did you end up in, in at kicking horse? Uh, 11th. 11th. At this point, are you just like, okay, I got a fifth. I got an 11th. You cannot at this point be thinking like, I probably got a shot at a overall podium. Yeah, no way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See, I like when you get emphatic. This is when you get emphatic, not when you're describing the line itself, but when you're like, oh yeah, no, no, no way was I thinking about some like top three finish on the tour. Nah. So, okay. 
I was still hoping I could qualify for Verbier. Yeah. I knew that I had to like put down another decent run in order to have, you know, even a hope of requalifying. And is that, I mean, is that kind of how you went into the season? Yeah, it would be, it's definitely something that I thought it would be sweet to qualify for Verbier. I really wanted to, um, if I qualified or didn't, I wanted to like bring kind of my style of skiing to the tour. Maybe it was a little different than some others. And so I was stoked I did that. If I were to ask you to describe your style, and you just said you think it's a bit different from a kind of, I don't know, let's say more typical style on the tour, how would you describe this? Um, there's a lot of guys, including myself, with a racing background, and they you know, can make turns really well usually. But I think... I like to put in a couple more different styles of tricks. And I think the mixture of those two things uh, is a little different than just like the big freestyle guys or the big racing guys kind of putting it together or trying to. Yeah. A bit more of the combination. Yeah. Anything else about the kicking horse stop? Yeah. That stop was crazy. Um, the girls crushed it. The girls did so well. Every one of the girls, I'm pretty sure, put down like a really solid, amazing line. And the guys were just not having it. Like most of them fell, I'm pretty sure. Uh, the ski the ski males fell. There's just rocks everywhere. Um, Drew Tabkey put down a crazy run and got totally gypped on a on a rock at the top of his top of his run. Logan almost died getting tomahawk those rocks uh in the middle shoot like it was kind of crazy seeing all those uh you know really calculated skiers have have issues were you already coming in kind of like before you skied were you like man people this mountain's taking people out this is definitely a time to just try to keep it smooth like you said yeah i mean i had seen I dropped like early on, but not like first. And so I'd seen a couple people go down, but I didn't fully realize what was happening until I was watching uh, from the bottom. People getting taken out. Yeah. Let's go to the third stop, which was in Andorra. Had you ever been to Andorra before? I had never skied in Europe. I had never been to Andorra. What was interesting you know, you arrive, you start inspections. What's the interesting stuff kind of prior to the comp? I really didn't ski that much prior to that event. The It was very icy, and it pretty much looked like spring there. Where we were staying in town, there wasn't any snow. We were going on hikes. We went on multiple hikes. It was nice. <laughs> <laughs> we were waiting for snow because they couldn't have the event uh, with the venue the way it was. And uh, that was the first event that we had lots of downtime before the event actually went off. And that was kind of nice, honestly. So at this point, this is the third stop. You have a lot of downtime. Are you mostly hanging with the friends you had coming into the tour? Or is your circle expanding at this point? 
yeah, circles definitely expanded. Sometimes there's a little language barrier, but um, it's not that bad. Most people can speak English pretty well. I've heard Drew Tabke's really worked a lot on his English, so. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, meeting <laughs> meeting other people from like the U.S. and everything, we like quickly became friends, so it's all good. I got to ask you, I, I think like, I've just got a lot of respect for Drew. I mean, I've got a lot of respect for everybody stepping up and competing in the FWT, but Drew just is kind of, rightly or wrongly, just kind of seems like he has taken on this kind of elder statesman of the tour. Did you Do you have any, like, nuggets of wisdom that Drew imparted to you along the way, or is it not quite work like that? He's trying to, he's trying to beat your ass, right? Like, maybe he's not, <laughs> maybe he's not dropping all these, like, Zen Cohen's well, on you. I don't know. Well, he did just like first event win. Yeah. So there's so that. that was intimidating. <laughs> if he wasn't already intimidating. Yeah. Beforehand. Back to Andorra. Yeah. Um, going on some hikes. I kind of knew that this venue was the playful freestyle venue. So I wanted to play to that in my line. And so how would you grade yourself in terms of execution where you're like, wow, I actually just kind of pulled off exactly what I wanted to do or walk us through that a little bit? I pulled off almost exactly what I wanted to do. I had to tone it back a little further down the line because I wasn't quite sure about some of the takeoffs were pretty icy because they were wind affected and I didn't know what type of um, if I'd get bucked off the takeoff or something like that. And I wanted to, to get down smoothly. So I kind of dialed back a couple tricks later on in my line, which I'm fine with because I made it down clean. And uh, didn't hurt you too much in terms of the results. Um, you pulled out a second spot in Andorra, right? Yep. Yeah. I still kept it playful, put a scream in where I wanted to do a three and a shifty what I want to do a front flip. But. I already mentioned him earlier in the conversation, but our managing editor, Luke Kappa, um, he wanted me to ask you about the switch five. Yeah. I mean, that was, so this is Andorra venue was the same one as the year before. And I saw everyone else ski that double up top. And I knew that there was potential for, so maybe more difficult tricks off that top air because you get such a good inspection of it being right below the start gate. You can see it really well. And a lot of people really wanted me to do a front flip right there, but I'm not a big fan of doing front flips off cliffs because you have a high potential for punch running. And I knew that the switch over flip was a trick that I enjoyed doing, and uh, that cliff looked really good for it, so I decided to give it a try. So how worried or nervous about that were you, or is this kind of like, nah, dude, I feel actually real comfortable? No, I felt pretty comfortable with it. It, uh, it was just a good cliff for it. It had a nice, like, solid flat takeoff, or mostly flat, and uh, the landing was good, and I got to see... A couple of people hit it before me, so I knew how much airtime 
I was going to get. And because of that big weather window that we had before it, I had a lot of time to just let it sit in my mind and think it through and then just let it clear out of my mind until I actually needed it again. Yeah, the result is a number two spot on the podium. So we've gone fifth, 11th, two. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty shocked, pretty stoked. <laughs> At this point, are you, has anything changed in your mindset? And you got to be honest here. I mean, are you like, wait a sec? You know, first goal was like, well, I don't know. It would be sweet. My first time on the tour would be sweet to, to qualify for Verbier. Are you thinking about things any different at this point? At this point, no. At this point, I still, to guarantee Verbier, I would still need like a decent result, like top 10 or something at the next event. So obviously I'm like beyond stoked. I got second and like can't believe it and stoked I put down this like, you know, uh, NBD trick. Um, but, you know, not letting it get to me or anything because I know that I still, still need to ski and, and Fieberbrun. Should we talk about Fieberbrun then? Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about the line that day. For you, at least on this past season, when you got to these different events, did it become apparent pretty early or at least very clearly like yep cool that's my line as opposed to being like man I'm really not sure I'm kind of torn between this one this one and this one so a little like thing that I'm sure I'm not the first one to come up with but something they keep telling myself is that inspection doesn't stop till you go through the finish line and uh, I try not to be committed to a line uh, at all until I'm like in the start gate. So Fieber Bruin, I got like three possible lines coming. I see Kev kind of ski a pretty similar top section to one of my lines and he made it look really good. And I was like, yep, that one looks good to me. It looks fun. And Kevin skied that line. That was like how many spots in front of you? Uh, maybe like three or five or something. Yeah. I'm not really sure. So that's yeah. it. I mean, that's, that's saying something, right? I mean, that's, um, that's not a day before I've, I've settled on the line. That's like a few minutes. I mean, in a way, <laughs> right? You're yeah. Like, cool. That's what yeah. we're going to try. So if you might not be fully settling on your line until you're in that start gate, like you just said, is it then a little bit more about these are the tricks that I think are kind of conducive to the, the venue on this day and time, given the conditions? Or is that also, I mean, the tricks themselves, is that also can become more of a last, last minute call? Yeah, I mean, the thing I'm trying to avoid is just being so locked in to wanting to do something that I ignore the current conditions. I ignore, uh, you know, what people have done in front of me and that could give me a clue into, uh, you know, maybe something's not lining up as we all thought or something is firmer or has different spacing than we realized. 
So I want to keep it pretty fluid and take things as they come. But inspection helps you inspect, you know, everything. So if something doesn't come as you thought it would, you can always make a decision on the fly to hit something else that you know is there. I guess that's why maybe it's good that they call it free riding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got the name right. Okay, so um, Feberbrun, you are very psyched. I mean, as you're coming through the gate at the end, you're like, my God, I nailed that or I executed that almost exactly as I wanted or how strongly were you feeling about that uh, as you were wrapping up the line? Yeah, I mean, that might have been my first run where I tricked everything I wanted to trick and um, I didn't have any like bobbles or anything and skied it clean top to bottom. That was stoked. So you kind of knew. You're like, oh, that's if I'm going to nail something, that's about as close as I could have come today to just nailing it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as far as my goal of getting top 10, I was pretty confident that I had uh, at least gotten close to top 10. And so in that comp, you end up in the second spot, which at that point, do you like... When you when you get that, when you know that you're in second spot, I'm going to assume at that point you know what this means in terms of overall standings. Not exactly. Not exactly. All right, say more. So I think I came down and I might have sat in the hot seat for a second. And so there you're not thinking about over I mean you're not thinking about overalls until it pops up on the screen for the live stream. So um, I'm not like out there with the calculator like, oh, what does this mean? <laughs> I'll was, leave that to the to the tour people. I was really, <laughs> really hoping. You're like, I actually ski with a calculator in my pocket. And then when I'm on the hot seat, I just am sitting there like divided by three doing the calculations. So, okay, that's not true. But um, so you're sitting around, you're watching the live stream. And when do you see? When do you see the? When do you first see the overall? Um, I mean, we see it at the same time as people watching the live stream see it, because we're just watching the live stream in in the like athlete tent right behind the finish line. And uh, yeah, couldn't believe it. I <laughs> I didn't know what to think. I was like, I don't know how. Well, like, I don't know how someone without even getting a first could be in first. And like, I didn't, you know, like just so many insane skiers. Like, yeah, I was, I couldn't believe it. Did you immediately turn and just say something like, man, this FWT thing is easy? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, <laughs> definitely not easy. This has definitely been interesting. It's been a learning experience. Yeah, I'm sure. And so... Talk us through a little bit about how things unfold. You've just learned you're in the lead. You've got the overall. Yeah. So we had awards, got the golden bib, um, the bullseye target, and got two weeks till the next event. So it was nice to uh, de-stress, relax, uh, Andor and Fieber Bruin are kind of back-to-back, -back. so it was, you know, full-on stay in the mental game, 
for uh, those two events. Didn't really have time to take a break. But now we got some time to relax and uh, not think about competing or like trying to like eat healthy and keep your body at the, you know its peak strength and whatnot. And uh, went over to Innsbruck to go skiing with some friends before. Uh... See, that's another thing. Fever Run's a sad event because then everyone that doesn't qualify has to go home. And so a lot of, a couple of my friends had to, were leaving. Um, Drew left back to Washington, Davey and Blake, who were snowboarders, uh, went back home. And amongst, you know, a lot of people that uh, didn't qualify for the last event. But it was nice to be able to ski with them a couple couple more times before they before they left, and uh, just like hang out. But uh, yeah, then at the same time that all that's happening, we're getting news on our phones about uh, COVID nineteen and spreading, and things are closing and. Uh, hanging out in Innsbruck and then all of a sudden all the resorts are closed and then the tours like all right event this Sunday everyone come to Verbier now and we're like oh all right so obviously we all want to ski Verbier and we're down to like we're stoked to make it happen so we're like fuck yeah let's go down there um give it our best shot and so I get a ride with uh, Michaela, who's a female snowboarder, and uh, some of her friends are driving down to, to Verbier. We roll down there. Neither of us have service, and we know there's an athlete meeting happening that night to give the final call on the event. And it's like a six-hour drive. So we're just like twiddling our thumbs in the car, just like, like what's going on? What's happening? Like, the resorts are closing. Everything's shutting down. Are they going to be able to pull it off? Like, the I don't know if you saw photos of the Beck, but it looked so good. It had so much snow on it. And, like, are we going to be able to ski? And, uh, yeah, showed up to the hotel, walked in the front door, and uh, <laughs> John Powell's there. And he's like, what, you guys didn't hear? Yeah, it's it's been called off. And it's just like, both like, I'm in a good position, I guess, for it to be called off. But also like, if you don't get to ski the final event and don't get to ski the Beck, which is so iconic and like something that I've looked forward to skiing um, ever since I started like watching the, the FWTs. So uh, that was a crazy couple hours for sure. I can only imagine. I mean, on the one hand, you're like, wow, I guess that means I just, I think, you know, deservedly, you're playing by the same rules as everybody else. Um, I'm the overall. Um, but it's funny hearing you tell that story. Mostly what I'm thinking is I, I think I, I get it. I'd be like, wait, I just, I'm right here. The Beck's right there. And 
you're like, I, I can't compete on it. At this point, are you like, well, can we just go try to sneak some laps in? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, kind of. We uh, stayed up pretty late that night because we had no obligations anymore. And uh, definitely joked around about, oh, like, dude, like, let's just tour up there. And uh, a couple people actually did the past couple of days. A couple of people actually went up there that stayed around Verbier. But we knew that the resorts were totally shut down. And uh, I, yeah, I didn't even get a chance to ski in Verbier. We just left the next morning and uh, flew back out here. Very strange ending. Very strange yeah. and abrupt ending, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Super abrupt. Yeah. And then in the scheme of things, it's like there are bigger global problems, you know? So like I'm pretty confident I can speak for you that we're we're not trying to overdo this or anything. But um, it's a wild thing, man. I mean, your first time out, you end up on the overall also rookie of the year. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even find that out till later either. <laughs> <laughs> well, because we missed the whole athlete meeting because we were in the we were driving down, and yeah, I don't know if they had waited till like the next morning, there would have been more people, because both uh, Christopher and I showed up like later that night, and neither of us made it for that meeting. But whatever. Was it at least a pretty good party that night? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> it was a five star hotel. <laughs> five star five star party in a five star hotel yeah one night that's good i'm glad i'm glad you got that yeah, <laughs> yeah. um i want to talk a little bit about the actual skis you were competing on this season primarily on the bighorn the sago bighorn do i have that right yeah so the first two events i was on the bighorn and the second two events i was on a cleaver with a turned up tail the Isaac Pro, the, the, the Isaac Pro Cleaver is what we call uh, this. Something like that. <laughs> what ski do you spend the most time on? I ski the Bighorns every day. Every day. Pretty much. Yeah. 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 The only reason we, uh, well, Peter was all like, Peter was convinced that the Bighorns weren't a comp ski. And this is, by the way, this is Peter Wells. Yeah. One of the founders of Sego, right? Yeah, Peter convinced, was convinced that the uh, Bighorns weren't a comp ski and I needed something stiffer. <laughs> and I would agree now that I've competed twice on the Cleavers uh, uh, to an extent. But um, the Bighorns are just so fun, man. It's just like hard not to ski them. But uh, <laughs> the Cleavers are so stiff and just chargy and they don't budge on like any terrain that uh it was it was nice to have something so stable under underfoot for the last two events especially when how variable it was in andorra and just like the big mountain fast skiing in fibrun and i would have skied him on the back for sure as well cleavers yeah um man this is such an interesting thing right like you go back even 10 years, 20 years, and you're like, comp ski. Oh, okay, so super heavy, super stiff, super long. That is kind of 
what would be the definition of a comp ski. And then increasingly, there's people like you tricking the hell out of these comp lines. So it's like, well, wait, that's normally you're not trying to throw a bunch of tricks on big, long, stiff, heavy skis. So how do you think about how do you deal with that balance? Or maybe you can speak to some of the preferences among some of your, some of the other riders on the tour. Is it sort of, does it seem to you like total, total subjective personal preference? Or is everybody trying to find that sweet spot between kind of playfulness and stability? What would you say to that? It's, everyone's got their own preference, but when it comes to the back, when it comes to these one-run events, it's really nice to have just like this, the stiffest, most stable charging ski that that like you can comfortably ski on <laughs> because it's just it's one run. Like you, you know, you want to have the best chances of of getting down clean. And the stiffest ski is going to do that for you. And uh, I thought about what skis to use for a long time for this because I, you know, I ski the Bighorns every day. I know how they react in like every condition and every surface. And I know them, you know, better than any ski. Um, but the reason I ended up going with the cleavers was just because of that, you know, metal, extra tightenal, uh, super, that stiffness just gives you the confidence to uh, send something and know that you don't need to be landing exactly perfectly uh, to still right away. So your version of the cleaver had, you said, a turned up tail. So yeah, it's a cleaver 110 and then it's, in the mold of the condor, ah, got it. which just has that like turned up tail to it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super chargy ski. Yeah. Super chargy <laughs> ski. Switching gears. What was scarier? Throwing a double backflip over Chad's gap or <laughs> any of these FWT stops? <laughs> um, the snow conditions on Chad's weren't that good. So that might have to take that question. Got it. Okay. It's direct answer. I like it. Again, this is I what I just heard you say is FWT, not a big deal, pretty simple and easy. Not very scary. <laughs> 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 Definitely intimidating. But like I said, it's not about how hard you send. It's about how smooth and clean and stylish of a run you can put down while obviously still, you know, keeping your line score. All right, I want to ask you a question about getting back to the FWT and just the way that these competitions are handled. I still personally, and this might just be me, I think it's kind of crazy that you guys travel all around the world to literally go get judged on one single run as opposed to maybe doing two runs or three runs and then 
right? You know, either taking your highest score of the two or three or averaging the scores, whatever. You have any thoughts on this or do you actually like the let's cool that's you know let's go we're flying to Verbier you got one run and everybody lives or dies on that one line I do like the one run format if you have more than one run you have to think about are you going to have a different venue because once you put everyone down a face you know the conditions aren't the same anymore things change um it's it provides people with a little bit more freedom to maybe send harder than they should be sending, if uh, which might lead to more injuries. And um, just coming from the FWQs here in the states, where uh, we used to do a lot of two to one format, it's hard when um, you're trying to play like the long game in just one event and you're also trying to play the long game for the overall if that makes sense yeah it does actually all right i guess i guess you might have a point <laughs> did this did the competitions themselves feel pretty familiar to you or was it like actually it's kind of more different than you'd think it's definitely more different than you'd think from the fwqs Partially because the FWQs are on slope inspection and these are all visual. Pretty huge difference, huh? Yeah, it's a pretty big difference. So if anything, this felt more like, you know, backcountry riding with the homies and like looking at a line on the other side of the face and then go hiking up and, and go skiing your lines. To what degree... Or to what extent do you think, yeah, there might be some individuals out there who you give them a chance to actually inspect the course, they're going to be amazing. How big of a difference is that in your view? Visual inspection is an art. It takes time to learn. And I don't think there's any perfecting it unless like Reyna has some secret he's been keeping. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's just constantly evolving, constantly uh, adjusting to what's in front of you. And uh, the thing about visual is that because you can't put yourself there exactly, you kind of choose usually some of the more like straightforward and like obvious errors that go through. And the people who are better at visual can pick like the really sneaky errors and like get really creative where other people wouldn't normally see that. And uh, when you're on slope, you can, you know, pick the most pinpoint like, oh, I'm going to take off on this like little lip and field goal these trees. And I know I need to like take this amount of speed to clear this rock and get here. And that's, you know, equally as impressive when you do it, but just with how snow is, um, you can't get an on-slope inspection and still ski good snow. That's not how it works. Unfortunately, that is not how snow works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, what secret talent do you have that few people know about? I don't know. I like 
I share everything that I'm good at to social media because I'm good at it in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't really have much talents that like aren't known. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. So for someone who hasn't, isn't that familiar with your social media feed. So growing up in San Diego, I used to be, uh, I used to be, and I still try to be decently good at, at like uh, free running, like parkour. Kind of like my summer pastime. Keeps me in shape a little bit. Air aware. Seems like an awfully nice compliment to riding FWT events and air awareness and landing and all the rest. And not a very common one, right? I mean, it's like we're a lot of lot of skiers are like, I also mountain bike or whatever, but I don't hear parkour coming up a lot. I think not that many skiers grow up in big cities, and I think, right? Can I say that? I think so. I'm pretty sure that's like mostly true, and uh, you know, like free running is more of a a big city thing. Like you don't really hear about it in the mountains that much, especially when I was like growing when I was a kid. So FWT and parkour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So what's the best question that I haven't asked you? Oh my God. <laughs> I guess you haven't really asked what's next for the season. I know you're not going to Disneyland. I'm definitely not going to Disneyland. Um, I like to go uh, it's touring season. And well, now that with Corona and all the resorts are closed, uh, it's just touring season early. And so I'd like to head up north a little bit to the Tetons, maybe, uh, Cook City area and go boot pack up some steep lines, some steep lines. I don't know. I got a, um, there's a couple things, a couple mountains I want to ski, a couple routes I want to do. So hopefully the snow is good and can check those off yeah pretty good and before anybody gets too uh up in arms in the comments section um i will just give you the reminder so they don't have to you know be safe out there in cook city everyone seems extremely worried that we're all gonna go mountain bike or ski or something and just blow ourselves up left and right yeah stay stay in your quarantines so you know you're good. I've been hanging out at home till 14 days will be next week. So um, after that, we'll see uh, how COVID's progressed. But then I'll be good to at least get around a little bit more than, than I have been these past couple of days. Well, hey, um, rookie of the year, world champion, it's been a weird 2020, but um, yours has been also mixed in with some really cool stuff. And um, it's pretty remarkable, man. And um, yeah, just uh, from everybody here at Blister, you know, congratulations on on the season you put together. And um, I guess, I mean, you do kind of have a target on your back now, though. <laughs> you okay with that? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm okay with it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm so stoked with how... Uh things turned out 
as far as the competing season goes. And uh, it's been crazy these past couple weeks, as we've talked about. But uh, yeah, stoked for more in the future. Well, hey, um, it's going to be fun watching you. And um, hopefully we get to keep watching you ski for a real long time. And hope you manage to stay injury free. And remember, you get injured in the spring. Right. So we've, we learned yep. this. So keep it, you know, keep it chill. Park. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Park spring skiing, man. Yeah. And be careful of that slush. <laughs> and on that note, man, um, I think we should definitely let you go. So uh, Isaac, congrats again. Thanks for taking the time and uh, look forward to talking to you down the line. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, man. You take care. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to Isaac for the conversation. And again, you should check out and give him a follow on Instagram at Isaac Freeski and go check out a lot of really solid skiing and his comp runs from this past season. I also want to thank Luke Alley for producing this episode and thanks to you for listening. I really hope you all are doing well, being smart, and taking good care of yourself and everyone else right now. Thanks, everybody. Hang in there, and we will talk to you again next week.